sends one a deep left way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet, it could be. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball yet. He has not won. And here comes the Cubs out on the field. is now in. Our imaginations are infinite. Sculpting a baseball diamond from a farmer's field in Iowa. Longing for summer as seasons are painted on its canvas. Once this game and this land touches you, the wind never blows so hard again. Hey, Dad? You want to have a catch? I'd like that. I'm Kevin Costner, and on this field, we once made a movie about dreams, of baseball in years gone by, and much more. A tale of love, family, character. The treasure of a single day. America has embraced the heroes of our youth for over a century. Those who ran on grass so green it took your breath away. Touching bases as white as clouds. Tonight, we pause time. In the warmth of August, two major league teams gift us a forever moment. The White Sox, the Yankees. Come to our field of dreams and play ball. Kevin Costner last night narrating the opening of the Field of Dreams game between the Yankees and the White Sox. We'll talk about that today. Uh, the good, the bad, how'd you feel about it, what you think, and we'll dive into that uh, today. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, on this Friday as we get ready for a big weekend here in Las Vegas as well, too. The Raiders will open up Allegiant Stadium with fans, exhibition style, preseason, call it what you want, against the Seattle Seahawks tomorrow at 6 o'clock, ribbon-cutting ceremony at 3, and uh, we will preview that game as well here today. So a lot to do, a lot to talk about, but let's start talking about the field of dreams. What do you think, Frank? I liked it. I, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a, I thought it was a cool event. Seemed like the fans were into it. I like how uh, outside of the outfield fences, there was some walkways in that and mazes that people could walk through a little bit in the cornfield. Um, it kind of reminded me of growing up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, with uh, literally our Little League field had cornfields right behind it. And when somebody hit a foul ball or something like that, kids would run in the cornfield and try to get balls because we were always looking for baseballs for our pickup games and that, that we weren't in the league and everything. So for me, it actually brought back some childhood memories, and uh, I, I thought it was really cool. It seemed like the players were into it with the old-time jerseys and everything else, and it was a hell of a game. Uh, the one thing I noticed was it seemed like almost every home run was through the opposite field, but they had mentioned there was kind of a jet stream blowing out to right and right center. And, boy, pitching outside, usually what pitchers want to do, 
in yesterday's game, last night's game, whatever you want to call it, since it was kind of early afternoon and went into the evening, not necessarily the right pitch to throw. Right. <laughs> uh, the game itself turned out to be a classic, and this was an event. And I'll give Major League Baseball credit for putting this event together. And this was an event that was supposed to take place last year. Actually, the, you know, they, they built that, uh, that stadium, you know, around uh, the diamond. And, you know, a c- couple interesting things, you know, for me here. Uh, I did like the idea of Major League Baseball kind of embracing the movie A Field of Dreams. And I know there are people that are on both sides of this. Some people think, hey, this was cool. Others feel it was corny. So that's my question. Was it cool or was it corny? And for me, it was a little bit of both. I, I like you, really enjoyed the uniforms, okay? And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we, we go to the beginning, and with Kevin Costner doing that, I thought, okay, that, that, that was fine. And then the players who came out of the cornfield, that was pretty cool. Okay, so they're really trying to build on on the movie and the iconic scenes and the memories and the moments that we r- remember from that classic movie. Um, but then it got a little weird for me. After the players came on the field, and I'm watching Costner, and I'm saying, okay, is when he's walking out to the field and to the pitcher's mound, am I say- I'm saying to myself, is he trying to reenact the movie, his scene, in that was he reenacting that or was he genuinely just soaking in the moment here and then we heard his speech and that's what it was it was a speech it was basically rehearsed and i couldn't make up my mind if okay is he still acting here or is he being sincere good afternoon Thirty years ago, thirty, on the other side of that corn, we filmed a movie that stood the test of time. Tonight, thanks to that enduring impact that that little movie had, it's allowed us to come here again. But now, we're on a field that Major League Baseball made. We've come to see the first place White Sox. Play the mighty Yankees. In a field that was once corn. It's perfect. We've kept our promise. Major League Baseball has kept its promise. The dream's still alive. There's probably just one question to answer. Is this heaven? I don't think I heard you. Is this heaven? Yes, it is. This this field is for the players. Good luck today. All right, so there's Kevin Costner. How did that hit you when you watched it? 
Well, I mean, I, I thought that part was a little bit corny, and, mm-hmm. and rightfully, he's an actor. He's not an improv right. actor or something like that, so he had something rehearsed. He had something prepared. I don't think he was trying to completely relive the movie, because remember, he didn't go into the corn in the movie. Mm-hmm. He wasn't allowed in the corn. Right. He wasn't invited into the corn. So him coming right. out on that, I think he was kind of absorbing it like, okay, now I get my moment in the corn and make the appearance and everything. And yeah, like I say, it was a little bit corny, but I thought there was a little bit of sincerity. To be honest with you, I'm surprised it took 30 years for this to happen. Right. Here's what got me, though. He, it was like he was filming a sequel. You know, when he got to this, you know, when he got to that part in, in, in speaking, why was he so subdued? You would think you want to celebrate this moment. The players are, are jazzed up. The crowd is pumped up. And then you got Kevin Costner just being subdued. There was no excitement in his voice whatsoever. It was like, hey, welcome to the Field of Dreams. I mean, you didn't, you didn't see any of that. Well, no, I think he was going for the melodramatic yeah. part of it, like in the scene in the movie, which, uh, Ray, I, I, I wrote that article, and, you know, and this and that. So I think he was going for that a little bit. I think he was being a little bit over dramatic in that I think sort he of went thing. way for yeah. that. So, so yeah, in, I, instead I, of letting himself yeah. Yeah, I be in the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would it once he appeared from the corn, if he would have run to the mound and jumped up and down in that, I would have been fine with something like that. But he did it the way he wanted to. And, and again, I don't know how much of the game you actually got to watch. You know, usually when they interview somebody, they interview him for like a half an inning, maybe say, can you say another half? He stayed on with them for over three innings. I mean, he was a, can you stay, I'd love to stay a little bit. I mean, he milked every moment out of it on the TV side and everything else he could. You could tell that he was very happy to be there. But I know why you're a little bit on the fence about this movie. Mm -hmm. Because in Field of Dreams, the little girl chokes on a hot dog. And they made hot dogs (laughs) the villain. And I think you take that personally. That's that's right. The Heimlich (laughs) Maneuver came in. And Timothy Busfield in that movie. A, A Sacramento guy as well, too. And I liked Field of Dreams. I did like the movie. I really did. But I just, you know, Kevin Costner was different when he was doing the interview with Joe Buck, right? He he was more engaging. But I just thought But even this then was, he was a little bit laid still, back in that. He was still I mean, subdued. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly, right? he wasn't the rah-rah, yeah. shake the pom-poms guy at all. And I think people wanted to see that. And I'm cool with him coming out of the corn and playing that role. And I, that got me a little bit, too. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But then it was a little bit overboard. He took so long holding the ball, looking around. And then he gets there. I would l- rather see him, you know, you know, welcome, smile in the face. But it was like he was still in that actor's moment. So, to me, that got a little a little phony for me. I, so. think, I think he also got thrown back a little bit when he said, is this heaven? I think he was expecting a resounding yes. Yeah. And there were mixes. Because, of course, in the movie they say, no, it's Iowa. And I think, a lo- I think half the fan base was going no because they thought, they, were, they thought he was reenacting the movie as well. And the exactly. other people were saying yes. Right. And so there was a, I, I don't think I heard you. And then you just heard it louder, but it was still the same mix. Yeah. It's like, Okay, where the hell are we? Yeah. <laughs> are we in heaven or are we in Iowa? Because after he asked it, I still wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I thought the whole thing <laughs> was just a little goofy with that. Again, it was, it needed it was like he was take, going for a sequel. It needed a take two, but it was being done live. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So uh, Also interesting that it was like, I think there was about 8,000 people there mm. in a town of 4,000 people. Yeah. Well, I was really looking at that. And I was looking at the aerial shots, too, because remember the final scene of the movie? They have the aerial shot where the cars are coming yeah. and, and where those roads were. So then when we... We got we a saw, lot of work to do, Ray. We, right. We saw a lot of, of the blimp 
action there last night. And I'm going, okay, see that road, this and that. But, you know, you say, you wonder where we were. Where were we in heaven? Were we in Iowa? Tell you where we where we weren't last night or where they weren't last night. They weren't on that original field. And oh, no. I, I understand that. But, again. It wasn't even the same town. No, the original field's right there. It was behind it. Oh, okay, yeah. It was right there. But my point is. I think a lot of people, when they heard about this field being constructed, I thought they were just going to add to the original field. But they kept the field where they shot the movie on the other side. And then now, like he said, Major League Baseball built that field. They built that stadium. It's not even on the same grounds that where they shot the baseball scenes. So you have to go clearing the other side. So what I'm looking at this. First and foremost, before I started realizing, wait a minute, they didn't expand. They just build bleachers there. You know, where she, you know, fell down off, uh, you know, the fourth row of the bleach, third row of the bleachers yeah, there. And Doc, had, the to cross, Doc yeah. had to cross the yeah. foul line to save her. He did. Absolutely. And um, but so I, I looked at that and I'm going, wait a minute. They're coming. They're coming out of the fields. That's pretty cool. Except, wait a minute. They're coming off the wrong side. They're coming out of right center field, right field. I go in the movie. They come out of left center field. Well, didn't one of them come out of right and the other team came out of left? Everybody came out of left. There was only one uh, opening one there, entryway. one entryway of yeah. the movie. Now, I'm speaking of the movie, and that was in left center field. Oh, yeah, so, in the movie, yeah, but I'm talking, I'm talking last, last night. I think they came out. I think they both came out of different that, ones. This is my point, is that if you're going to reenact it, you know, I'm a stickler for this, especially sports movies, reenact it the same way, but they couldn't because that's when I realized, wait a minute. I saw the aerial shot of the original field, you know, with the path from home plate to the mound and like the old school field. And I'm going, wait, this isn't the same field. And then when he said, oh, Major League Baseball built this, I said, okay, I, I get it now. So that's why they had the walkways there through right field to come through that. All right. So that disappointed me. But here's another thing that disappointed me. The fence. We had fences there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see a fence. I want to see you. The corn is supposed to be the fence. But then anything that went beyond the outfielders that reached the fence would basically be a ground rule double. That's if it fine. Didn't go over it. That's the way it was. And whatever this was supposed to be. But I don't know when, if they would sanction that by Major League Baseball. I'm assuming they wouldn't. That's why they had to build a fence. Okay. I will take umbrage with that. Because if Major League Baseball is going to sanction putting a hill in the middle of center field at Houston like they did. Remember that nonsense? Anything goes, right? Well, maybe. I, I mean, mean, a hill where where players could get injured and did get injured. A hill? Are you kidding me? Well, they used to have the uh, the the the, uh, the relief pitchers warming up and that kind of stuff with mounds in foul territory that yeah. infielders and outfielders yeah. could both trip over going after remember, foul balls. And they had part of the train track there. Uh, when they yes. first built that stadium. Aren't there still some like minor league clubs or something? There, there used to be one field, I think it yeah. was in Saint, like in Cincinnati or somewhere in Ohio, where the train literally sometimes they would have to cancel, they yeah. would have to postpone the game for the yeah. train to go through center field. That was actually, it, I was actually in Bingo Long's Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings, by the way. Yeah, but, but I think yeah. that was right. a true story, that there was really a train. That, yeah. I mean, they yes. would literally have to stop. It wasn't only a train yeah. track, it was still an actively used train track. You're, you're stamping my point. Point, uh, with the exclamation point there, exactly. Major League Baseball, that's the way it's always been for 100-plus years. So well, but they, they do have fences everywhere now. Remember the know. You, you know the original Wrigley Field? I don't. A lot of people don't know this. I was actually surprised when I first read this. The original Wrigley Field truly had a home field advantage. 
Because before the ivy-covered walls, they had a rope out there. Yes. And they said when the Cubs were up to bat, the fans would push in as far as they could to make the dimensions of the field a little bit less to make it easier for the Cubs to hit home runs. And it also made the outfielders afraid to go in the power alleys. Right. But when the opposing team was at bat, they would pull back on the rope and had like a good 15 to 20 feet of distance for the other team to have to hit home runs. That, my friend, is a home field advantage. Yeah, well, the old Tiger Stadium was like 440 to center field and the old Polo Grounds in New York. And the Tigers, that where the Giants used to play. And the Tiger Stadium were, were right field. The, 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 it was actually the ledge if you hit it high Correct. enough. It could be a regular, a routine fly ball that might be a home yes. run because it was yeah. because it actually went out over so the Major regular League stand. Baseball has had all these quirks forever. I'm just saying, if we're going to reenact the movie, and you went to all of this time, money, effort to do it, make it a nationally televised game, a standalone situation on a Thursday night, then okay, let's let's really replicate it. So if you don't want to build onto the original field, why they didn't do that, I have no idea. I guess that's you know because well maybe it's the fans and everything else. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe it, maybe you know the, they just couldn't get it done and with the dimensions and everything. That but they it was properly. built in the middle of a cornfield. So you oh, have, absolutely, you have plenty of acreage there, right? Yeah. So because the whole town thought Ray was crazy yeah. when he was plowing over his profits, that's, that's, and he already had a mortgage on a house. That's right. Jeez. <laughs> But, yeah, Timothy Busfield, he was a problem in that movie, man. Always telling Ray, you know, don't do it. You know, you got to sell, Ray. The bank's going to foreclose. But when do these players arrive? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Ray, do not sell this farm. Do not sell this farm. But I didn't even really notice the fence until I really looked at it. So it was. Well, I noticed it immediately because I'm like, yeah, that's not just corn that they're up against there. There's a fence. I can see. Because I can see through the mesh and everything. You didn't need that. I mean, if you really want to, you know, embrace the ambience of it, then just let's let's have the cornfield be the cornfield. I mean, the balls are flying anyway. You know, there are plenty of home runs anyway. It was an over. Did you like the scoreboard in right field there? The old wooden thing that was just kind of thrown up there, and they're putting the numbers up like yeah. the like the old yeah. kind of fashion yeah. way. Yeah, that was okay, I guess. Like even the graphics when they would show like a pitch when it would go from you know one and two to two and two or something like that, and they made it look like instead of electronically that somebody was actually changing it. You know, yeah. to to me that was like okay, well this is old Wrigley Field. <laughs> Baseball scored last night though because people are talking about it. It was the highest rated regular season game in the last sixteen years. And on a Thursday night. On a Thursday night. And why, I was thinking this too, why didn't they do it on a Friday night? Or why not do it on a Saturday? I was wondering that. You know, it, I guess, again, they wanted to take advantage of maybe, you know, Thursday night, bump some of Fox's Thursday night programming. I, I don't know. Or maybe they, they wanted to just play on the Thursday and then they wanted to probably, you know, get back to Chicago yeah, to get play on the, the rest regular of the weekend. So that make, and everything that else, makes so. sense again. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was thinking that at first myself yeah, a little I'm bit. I'm sure so, that's it. You know, and, and, I, and I'm sure it also didn't hurt that right now it's kind of rerun season for everybody yeah. out there, for all the networks and everything. Right. So, But it, they made an event. I'll give them credit for that. It, it, it was cool, but I thought parts of it were corny where they didn't need to go. And then, you know, the game itself was pretty phenomenal. And when you look at that game, I, I pretty much gave up on the game, like I told you earlier. I mean, when it was 7-3, uh, to three, the White Sox were ahead, I thought, you know, okay, th- this thing is done. But it turned out to be a very, very 
special night for, for both teams. And the Yankees thought they had the game won. We go to the game last night. The Yankees were down 7-4. to four. There's two outs in the top of the ninth inning. It's a 2-1 count to Aaron Judge. And he says, we're not quite done yet. Puffin and Puffin with a count 2-1 and one on Aaron Judge. High fly ball. This ball is way out of here. One-run game. Two-run shot for Aaron Judge. Uh, made the game 7-6. to six, And wow, it's interesting. But still two outs, right? We're going to have a blown save here, you know, with the White Sox. So then Joey Gallo comes up who just came over from the Rangers a couple weeks ago. He works a walk, and then uh, Giancarlo Stanton comes to the plate with a chance to give the Yankees the lead with more drama. Here's Stanton. He's hit 17 home runs, hitless tonight. say wall he said wall well he can't say he's up against the corn because there was a wall because there was a fence back there there was no wall it was corn what was a temporary wall yeah (laughs) so at that point in time i know yankee fans are they're jumping up and down the yankees were jumping up and down the first base dugout they're having a great time it's like wow this is something special here but then we come to the bottom of the ninth. The Yankees got a one-run lead, and we know the White Sox bats, and they scored seven runs prior to that. They get a guy on, and Zach Britton, well, you know, time for him to blow a save. Anderson. Hits it in the air right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. So Anderson hits the home run, and uh, that was the Joe Buck call. But can you imagine what the White Sox call was? I'd imagine there was a little bit more excitement. Yeah. Len Casper on the call for the White Sox with Tim Anderson's homer. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The field of dreams. Nine eight the final. Light it up. Can you believe it? It was meant to be. First game ever in Iowa. That's the best game ever played in Iowa. <laughs> there it is. So Lane Casper with the call. White Sox uh, radio network there. Wonder if the Iowa Cubs have anything to say about that. Yeah, like, yeah we've had some pretty good games here in the past. But, yeah. but yeah, but no, and, and and also it's when you're talking about the, the historic stuff. Now, if you're a conspiracy theorist, I'm sure some of them are right now trying to go. Oh, this thing was all fixed and set up and that, and you know how oh the walk off home run, fifteenth walk off home run in the history of the White Sox against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Who hit the first one? Shoeless Joe Jackson in 1919, the year of the Black Sox That's scandal. What I'm so everything was cyclical, and the way that the Yankees hit the two home runs in the ninth to set it all up and everything—I mean, it really was kind of magical moments and stuff like that. And as much as the Yankees were jumping up and down, the White Sox were then equally doing that on their side of the field. But no, I thought it was a fun game. Uh, I, I I thought it was interesting. Uh, yeah, I know you looked at a lot of things that you didn't like about it. 
normally I do that when I'm watching movies and things, but in this particular game, because I noticed the fence immediately too, and I thought, ah, that's not really, shouldn't yeah. be there. But then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to poo-poo anything or nitpick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit back and see if this game can entertain me and just yeah. let myself, for once, just see if I can just be entertained and enjoy something. And I did enjoy it. I thought it was a yeah. good event. I liked it. I also thought it was interesting, and I didn't understand why people would buy a ticket to a game like that, but they were walking around in the outfield in that. It's like, why aren't you in your seat watching the damn game while you're taking the trails in that? And then when the balls would go in the corner, you'd see some people rushing in trying to get it in that. Again, that's what reminded me of growing up in the Little League field in Crystal Lake by the drive-in when I lived on State Street uh, back in Crystal Lake, Illinois, because there was literally cornfields and farms all around. But here, I want to be clear here. It's not that I was looking to nitpick this. Not at all. And I saw some media guys today that were, were nitpicking this thing, and they didn't get it. You know me. I'm a, I'm a baseball historian type of guy. I love my movies. I love my sports movies. So I, I wanted to embrace this, and I, and I did embrace this. But then again, if you're going to go to all the trouble and the money and the time to do this, let's, let's get it right. And for the most part, they did, and I thought it was cool. I, I really did. I thought it was more cool than corny. Uh, the only part that I really thought was corny was Kevin Costner's little acting that he was doing last night. I thought that was corny. But the game, the uniforms, the Sox uniforms from back in 1919, very cool. Yankees uniforms, very cool. I really enjoyed that. The aerial shots, seeing the corn, seeing the greenery, I thought that was that was very, very cool. I'll tell you what's not cool, though, is Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson hit the, the two-run homer. Yeah. Never saw the movie before. How do you never see the movie? He said he's never seen People were asking him, interviewing him after the game. He goes, you know, I never saw the movie. Well, is that really hard for you to believe in this day and age that somebody young? It's not. We were it's just not. at the NBA Summer League yesterday. What did Spencer Haywood say? A bunch of the, the players were like, who the hell are you, basically? Just because you played a game doesn't mean you know the game or you're a student of the game or you've watched every movie about the game. The, the, the other thing that I kind of question, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, did they shoot fireworks off after games back in those days? I don't Because think so. they certainly did after there's, that walk-off another run. One. There we go. There's another. Now, I know yeah. at the old Comiskey Park and that they literally used to shoot fireworks off yeah. all the time, but I don't know if they did in 1919. Actually, it'd be a buzzer. Okay, so I, I, at X would mark the spot there. Yeah, it's a, yeah I, I said check mark, but X. Yeah, fireworks. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. This guy has been playing baseball his whole life. Tim Anderson. Maybe this guy's like movies. been in the minor leagues. You don't like Westerners. It doesn't matter. You're a baseball <laughs> player at some way, shape, or form, either when you're a kid or you're in the minor leagues, and he's been a major leaguer for, for quite some time now, okay? And you know that you're going to go play at the Field of Dreams. Well, that that I'll give you. That for I'll over give you. a year. That I'll give you. You, you, you could have certainly Come done on. your due diligence and checked Come it out on. to see exactly what it's all about. I mean, it should have been mandatory viewing. And you know, here's well, the, they should have had a team meeting or something like that where you. the whole team watched that, it together. Absolutely. A team let, bonding let session. Me, let me tell you, in Green Bay, that the first thing that the, the Packers do when they bring their rookies in, even if they make the team, don't make the teams, they put them through the Packer Hall of Fame. They go through the Packer Hall of Fame there at Lambeau Field, and they make them go through the tour and make them sit there and watch the old videos so they know. Because you know that media people are going to come and ask you, like, hey, do you realize you're on the hollowed ground of Curly Lambeau and Vince Lombardi and that sort of thing? So 
they make sure that their players know that. So sort they of thing. prep them for it. Yeah, which is great. Well, it, it, it is a smart thing to do. Yeah. Obviously, the White Sox weren't smart enough yeah, to do that. Right. They right. probably just assumed that everybody had seen it. Okay. But no, I no. agree with you. I mean, yeah. I, I think they would. It would have been nice to uh, get a theater and just make sure that the whole team is there. Right. Maybe both teams are there too. Because I can see where some people wouldn't have yeah. seen it. Right. I mean, to me, it's almost inconceivable. But you know. Well, if I do want to nitpick this, though. All right. So now we're having games, regulation game, regular season games. On a movie set, basically, yeah. right in a cornfield. So, should other sports now take notice and maybe get some big time ratings? So, should the NBA maybe go play at Hinkle Fieldhouse and go play where they filmed Hoosiers? Why not? Should we do that? Why not? Would that be a good idea? Baskets are still ten feet high. The That's court's right. Still ninety four feet. That's it. Let's measure. I mean, all right. Now listen to me. Right, this is the last shot that we got. All right. We're gonna run the picket fence at them. Merle, you're the swing man. Jimmy, you're solo right. All right, Merle should be open swinging around the end of that fence. Now, boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. That's it. Don't get caught watching the paint dry. Classic scene when uh, Dennis Hopper took over. Doesn't Gene Hackman there? Doesn't the NFL do games in Wembley Stadium every year? Yeah. Haven't they done games in other places? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, so other sports have done stuff. Yeah. Didn't um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar set the point record at here in Vegas? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like other sports haven't done stuff in places that aren't one of the official team's home things. Well, the NFL plays down in Mexico. Right. But those are actually stadiums. So you constructed this stadium there. Well, in, this in was Iowa. a stadium. It's a movie. I, I'm, I'm going the movie theme here, okay? So don't mess up my parade here. I'm going movie Well, no, because you said you, you want to nitpick on it, and yeah. you're nitpicking because they played in a stadium with right. regular dimensions so and should, everything else. should basketball. They, well, they did everything the same. Should it the NBA ha- go play at the Hinkle Fieldhouse? It'd be kind of cool because if you're going to recreate this and it draw, drew these great ratings, shouldn't the NBA go play in Hinkle Fieldhouse and around Hoosiers? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, yeah, it would be great. Now, what would really tick you off is if they said they were going to Hinkle Fieldhouse, <laughs> and then they built a new building right next to yes! it a couple more seats. Exactly. And you could see Hinkle Fieldhouse in the blimp shot. Okay. How about the NFL? Now, if we're going to go movies with the NFL, where should the NFL play a game? Well, I mean, like I said, the NFL's already done games in different places. I said, but, but they a could... movie theme. Though it's the greatest football movie of all time. I think we got to have the NFL play at the Georgia Citrus State Prison. That's what we got to do. The longest yard. There you go. Right now. More. All right, now listen to me. Listen to me. We're going to let Bodansky come right through. Nobody touch that big mother. You got it? I want to try something. I want to try something. Now, if it works, everybody hit him. Right? Right. Split right. All curl on one. Ready? Ready. 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 One of my favorite plays. Blue! 69! Right in the groin! Isn't that great? That's it. Georgia State Prison. The Let's ori- have a game there. The original, so much better. Got that right. Than, than, than the remake. Oh. And um, Yeah, don't get yeah. me going about 2005 Adam Sandler. Don't get me going yeah. with that nonsense. The, the only thing that bothers me a little bit about that movie is uh, originally I liked the line, but now when he says, I think I broke his freaking neck. Right. You know, after breaking my neck, it's right. not a fun thing. 
<laughs> that's when you get up and go get your popcorn. You know, because you don't want to see that scene. No, no, I, I still watch it yeah. all the time. Yeah, it, the only thing I really actually didn't like about that movie was uh, wasn't too crazy about the cheerleaders for the prison team. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, but no, that was a that, that was an excellent movie. It, it was absolutely great. great. And here's the thing about that movie: they actually filmed that movie at 300 First Avenue there in Reedsville, Georgia, at the Citrus State Prison, that is still in existence today. That was a football field that they had there at the prison. That was what was so beautiful and so ingenious about that. So I say, NFL, Roger Goodell, let's go play a game at the Citrus State Prison. Do you want a soccer game where uh, they did the, the movie Victory? Then Why not? Like there that? you go. Let's have there a World you. Cup game over there. I'm, I'm telling you, this is coming now, my friend, because 30 years ago, would we ever think that we were going to see a, a baseball game where they – Film the Field of Dreams? Absolutely not. I, 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 I'm on the other side of that with you. Like I said, I'm surprised it took yeah. this long. Yeah. When, the, when I knew I'm that talking they, about 30 years ago. We no, weren't thinking that. No, but 30 years ago when they said that they were going to keep the field up all the time, I thought, well, it's got to be just a matter of time before they do something. If they're going to keep the field all year round, they got to do something with it. Yeah. No, it was I cool. thought maybe it would be a minor league game yeah. or an exhibition game. Yeah. I didn't know it would be a regular season yeah. game. But, no, but I did yeah. enjoy it last yeah. night. It was cool. Cool or corny, a little bit of both. But you yes. can be both. It was you yeah, can yeah. be both. Yeah. You know, I I I saw your video on the dance floor. You were yeah. a little bit of both. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it a thumbs up. There you go. All right, man. All right, uh, we come back. Mark Anderson is going to join us. UNLV has a new interim athletic director. We'll talk to Mark about that. NBA Summer League, and we get ready for the Raiders home the opener Raiders. tomorrow. The TC Martin Show is back. Yes. Yes. What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes, in the face! The doctor is now in. in. A lot going on here, as we know, here in Las Vegas. We were out at the NBA Summer League yesterday. A lot of fun out there. Uh, again, appreciate uh, Spencer Haywood for joining us yesterday. That interview is up on the website at T.C. Martin Show. Dot com. But now you're back in your studio of dreams. My studio of dreams, right. <laughs> Not in the field of dreams, a studio of dreams. Believe me, I no comment. No comment at all. Numchuk says we're number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raiders in action tomorrow night. Looking forward to that. The first game with fans, even though it's an exhibition game. Preseason. Uh, preseason. Uh, exhibition preseason. Same difference. Same thing. People don't like that. Ribbon cutting ceremony tomorrow. Three o'clock. Mark Davis going to stand in the... Same place where he did going back, what, uh, three and a half years ago for the ribbon-cutting ceremony and shoveling dirt three and a half years ago. Look forward to that. Uh, we've got entertainment. Do you know who's going to be singing the national anthem? We've got some breaking news there on that. For tomorrow's game? Yeah. Do you know? Um, they're they're going to go all out. I know it's not me. It's not you. Well, you can't sing anyway. You don't know that. Well, well, you want to you bust, bust a couple lyrics? Everybody can sing. Yeah. Just some sing a lot better than others. Marie Osmond. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Is Donnie going to be there with her? I don't think so. Just Marie, Marie's going to be, be there. And, of course, uh, we've got a halftime show tomorrow, too. Carlos Santana. Oh, now that would be worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos Santana. That guy can shred. <laughs> all right. Uh, we've got all kinds of stuff happening this weekend. Let's uh, tune in to Mr. Las Vegas himself, Mark Anderson. What's going on, my man? <laughs> Not <laughs> much, TC. How you doing? I just wasn't sure how to bring you on. I mean, Mark covers everything with the Las Vegas Review Journal, and he is Mr. Las Vegas. Mr. Las Vegas. So yeah. maybe Mark. 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 Mark, 
Mark's doing a, the singing at the the, the pregame then, or what? I don't know. No, you, you don't want to hear. No, you know, believe me, you do not want to hear me do that. <laughs> oh. I, I thought Wayne Newton was Mr. Las Vegas. <laughs> yes, right. Well, well Mark, Mark yeah. can do a Mark, good Wayne Newton. Mark gonna bust out a little Dunka Shane. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Where's all your attention been? Uh, Summer league, UNLV. Where do we want to start? Because I want to hit it all with you. Uh, wherever you want, uh, we can start uh, either place. Whatever you, you you're more, more more want to talk about. All right. Well, we do have the breaking news that uh, UNLV has hired an interim athletic director. President Keith Whitfield today said the uh, he is appointing uh, Eric Harper as the interim athletics director, effective August the sixteenth. Harper's a longtime uh, UNLV administrator who served the last nine years as UNLV's senior associate athletic director for development. So he will be in this interim role here. Uh, what do you think, Mark? Uh, going with the interim tag here, or why didn't they hire a permanent guy immediately? Well, I think because they want to take their time, um, and, and I think it's probably the right thing to do. Uh, you know, get someone in here to just run the day to day, and really, really think about who you want to bring in as the next athletic director, and see who you can go get and. Um, uh, it's just too important to hire to try to rush it, and you know the football season's getting ready to begin anyway. So it's not like it, it's not like um, you're going to get someone in tomorrow. So you know you're going to go into the season with an interim, and that's fine. They, that's happened before. Um, so you know, I, I, I think I, I think if, if, as long as they make the right hire, that's really all that matters. What do you think about Desiree Reed Francois's uh, departure? Now, obviously. We all knew that she was going to use this as a stepping stone. She never would say that, but and she's been a mover and a shaker for quite some time. I believe what this is her seventh or eighth job, and now she goes to the SEC, goes to Missouri. So, understandably, anyone who's the athletic director at UNLV, they are for the most part, uh, if they want to aspire to go to a bigger school or bigger conference, they're going to do that. You can't blame her for that. But uh, uh, what was your take? On uh, on Desiree Reed Francois leaving UNLV for Mizzou, I was I was surprised at the timing of it. Uh, I know she's been looking at a number of jobs. Uh, her name keeps popping up, popping up with with different openings. Um, so yeah, there was no secret that she was looking to go to a Power Five. Uh, I just I just was um, you know I, I was I was I was thinking that the Power Fives are going to wait and see what, ha- what happened with the football and basketball coaches because uh, you know the, the the jury's still way out. Or Marcus Arroyo, and who knows what how Kevin Kruger is going to do. So, uh, you know, neither program's really sh- is exactly shined under watch. It's, I'm not going to say it's all her fault, but it's still she she was athletic athletic director at the time, and so you was you had I had I thought that was really going to hurt her, and and it with Missouri apparently didn't, and and from what I understand, Greg Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, spoke on her behalf for the job, and. You couldn't ask for a much more powerful person than that. Um, and I looked at who else they were considering, and she, to me, seemed like the, the strongest candidate of, of at least the ones that are publicly, you know, the names that publicly surfaced. So when I saw that, it made sense that Missouri hired her. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just I just thought it'd be another year or two once we saw what happened with football and basketball for anything like that happened. Mm-hmm. Eric Harper, who's been around UNLV since uh, 2012, obviously he's got to be very excited right now. But you know, when you get a a tag like that, that you know that you're the interim guy, you know darn well that he would love to be the permanent athletic director. Is there any shot that maybe he could be the guy? 
Yeah, I, I guess it's always a shot. I mean, you know, it, it's. Uh, I, 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 um, you know, I don't know what the the, the university's president is looking for, and you know, if he has a really good relationship with Eric Harper, and and is impressed with the job that he does, yeah, maybe he stays with him. And you know, I, I could see that happening. The fact that he's he's getting the interim shows you that there's some sort of confidence that he wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. So I, I think I think he's I, I I wouldn't be stunned if UNLV turned to him in the long run. I do think they're going to look uh, nationally and see who they can attract. And but if he winds up being the strongest candidate, that would be uh, I think they probably will go with him. You mentioned that the football and basketball program both have relatively new coaches. The football team set up to be playing in front of bigger crowds now this year at Allegiant Stadium, so that's a plus. What is the most challenging thing for the new? AD, whether it is the interim coach or if they go outside and they find somebody else, uh, you know, what what is the biggest challenge right now? Because a lot of people think it's to find a way to get into one of the, the power, what looks like it's going to be four conferences. Is that achievable for UNLV? Not the way things currently are, no. The football program and basketball program need a lot of improvement, I think, for UNLV to get a guy a shot. You know, he has pretty much everything else going for it. It's got the city, it's got facilities. It's doing well in the other sports, um, but, it, you know, I think when you look at football and basketball, they don't really bring anything new to the table. Let's just make the argument, for example, the Bank 12 decided to expand. They're already in Las Vegas, so with they got their basketball championships and football championship here. But I, they probably have, feel they have enough of Las Vegas presence as it is, and that's the closest major conference to Las Vegas. Who knows what's going to happen with the Big 12? Um, it, I, it could survive, but, you know, it's it's going to be a shell of itself. Um, and then, you know, they're, you're, you're going even farther east. So I just I just don't really see UNLV being a strong contender for the Power 5 right now, or Power 4, whatever it may turn out to be. Um, but, but, you know, I think the new athletic director is going to have to, you know, put the pressure on that football's got to get turned around sooner rather than later. And, it's, and with the way things are now, the transfer portal, you can do that, uh, you know. So is, is, maybe a Royal can get it done. He's had some really impressive recruiting classes on paper. Can he coach him up? Can his staff coach him up? That's, the, to me, it's kind of the big question right now. He seems to have talent. Let's see what he can do with it. And if, you know, I think in a couple of years, I think, I think it's fair to give him a couple of years and see what he does with it. After a couple of years, if you don't feel like it's going in the right direction, then you go somewhere else. But maybe he gets it going and, and he gets that program where it needs to be. Now you bring up a great point, Mark, about you know Las Vegas. People like to point to that. Well, hey, look at you know Las Vegas. The Pac-12 is already here. Bring up a great point. And there's no way in the world a, a Pac-12 or any other conference is going to want to have a football program that has not been successful. And let's, I mean, not successful. I mean, just been horrendous for 30 years. 30 years yeah. that this program has been yeah. around. There's no way in the world. When the Pac-12 expanded, they reached out to Utah and to Colorado. And, you know, those teams haven't had, you know, great success in recent times. And you're talking about Boulder, Colorado and Salt Lake City. Those are not, you know, you know meccas, you know, at all. And they went there. I mean, if the Pac-12 is going to go anywhere, they're probably going to reach out to Boise State or to San Diego State before they're going to reach out to UNLV, and I know that Rebel fans don't like to hear that, but that's, but that's the truth. And I don't, even, I don't even see the Pac-12 doing that. Yeah, I don't either. I think I think the Pac-12 is is going to kind of wake things out right now and see see how, how it all falls together. When the SEC, uh, when when the news broke that Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, there was an immediate panic. 
all these conferences need to do something. But I think they've kind of settled in now, maybe with the exception of the Big 12, because the Big 12 is kind of a precarious situation. But that, the other conferences, the other three major conferences, I think settled in and more, okay, let's just see really where this goes. Uh, we don't need to expand just to expand. I don't know that the Pac-12 does need to expand. You know, if you know, maybe if you could sell that they would make more money through a new TV deal uh, with, with you know, an extra couple of schools. But I'm not sure, so sure that they can make that argument. And so why would you want to split the, the financial plan even more than you already are? So I, I think the Pac-12 is going to – I can see them having some sort of working agreement with the Big 12 uh, where they have some sort of scheduling alliance or something like that. And I don't see a flat-out merger, but some sort of alliance to where – um, they play their non-conference games against each other and that sort of thing, but I, I, I just I just don't think there's going to be an immediate rush to expand at this point. A lot of Rebel fans would love to have Lon Kruger as the AD. Is that something that you think would be a possibility, or would Lon even want this? I, I don't think he wants it. Um, if his son wasn't the basketball coach, I think he would make all the sense in the world. Uh, but I, I do think. There could be a problem. What if what if three years down the road, Kevin's not getting it done? Can would you really expect Lon to fire his own son? I mean that. I mean that's that's. And I don't think either. I don't think Lon one would want to be in the position uh, position to make that uh, that decision. And I also do think that he does want to retire and enjoy enjoy life. Now uh, he's coached for a long time. Um, he he, you know, he originally moved to you know uh, Las Vegas. To, to coach UNLV, it was his plan to stay here permanently. Um, so I think he is thrilled to be back and and just support his son and offer what kind of advice he can, but to be more on the sidelines and not directly involved. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that that you did with uh, you know if Kevin doesn't work out there, and certainly everybody hopes he does, but that would be a really bad situation. And Lon Kruger is an easy name because he did just move out here, he did just retire. But if Lon Kruger is not the name. Who are some of the people out there that you've heard people talking about, or is it too early in the process to even speculate? Yeah, I think it's way too early. Um, you know, I'm obvious. I'm sure they've gotten tons of responses. I'm sitting there, imagine the president's office gotten tons of emails and calls uh, from those who are interested and representatives of those who are interested. I'm sure there's no shortage of that. So. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they're still I think they're in the process of trying to figure it all out. And this is a pretty a fairly new president too. So this isn't it's not like he's been here for for five years and been thinking about it a long time. Uh, I think I think this is I think he's still trying to figure all this out himself. So um, I, I but I do think it's going to move. Even though it's, I, he will take his time, I do think you'll start to hear some things surface probably in the next couple of weeks. Is my guess. Um, you know, where maybe someone will leak a name out there that uh, that someone's interested in the job, that sort of thing, because that, that tends to happen. A lot of times you get agents involved to get their clients' names out there uh, to try to draw attention to them, too. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if that begins to happen. All right, Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review-Journal joins us. A final thing here, Mark, as we look forward to UNLV taking the field here in a couple weeks, uh, what are you hearing? What are your thoughts? Is this going to be a season where the Rebels finally turn this thing around? Not this season, I don't think. No. Uh, yeah, I just, I just don't see it. Um, you know, I... I, I, I don't even I don't even know who the quarterback's going to be at this point. So I, that's such a big question, and I just I just think they have so much of a rebuild to do. Like I said earlier, he's had some really good recruiting classes on paper, 
but those guys need to grow into those roles, and they got to be coached up properly. And uh, finally, they had a full off season to do that. But you know, there, I was I was bothered by some things I saw last season. Well, one thing in particular, I, it, when Marcus Royal said last season was basically like spring practice, that that did not bother me. I actually thought that made a lot of sense. But then he played a senior quarterback. He started a senior quarterback. He's like, well. I thought that hindered the growth of the program. I, I don't think we, we know as much about the quarterbacks now as we should, and he doesn't know as much about the quarterbacks now as he should because he he elected to go that route. And I think that I think that might hurt him. Where you might have had, say, a Doug Brunfield f- further along at this point. So we'll see. Um, and I, I just don't think the schedule sets up great for them. You know, the win total is what one and a half. You know, it's that, that's I it wouldn't I wouldn't shock me if they just went finished with a couple wins now. I do think if they win four games, I think that's I think that's real, real, real progress. I really do. It probably won't get the attention of many people out there, but it will show some really good things. So if they can do that, I think that's I think four wins, believe it or not, is is successful this year. We're laughing. We're actually laughing. You you said one and a half, but that is the number. How sad is yeah. that? And how can we yeah. think about the Pac-12 or any conference bigger than the Mountain West Conference? One and a half. And you're playing in a billion-dollar stadium. This is embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, no, it's I, tragic. I, yeah, is what it I, is. I, yeah, no, I and he, I mean, they, they can't wait around yeah. to get things done. I mean, coaches turn stuff around quick all the time now because of the circumstances are different than they used to be. You know, coaches don't get five-year plans anymore because you don't have that luxury. So I think in a couple of years, uh, I think we'll we'll know exactly. If this is on this program set on the right track or not. Uh, maybe even this year, who knows? But I think, give it another couple of years, I think you can make a much fairer evaluation. You got it. All right, Mark, uh, appreciate you. Real quick, uh, tell people what uh, you're working on and where they can follow you. Well, I'm, uh, I'll be back uh, covering Summer League again next next uh, week of the Tuesday Championship and still working on some Olympic stuff, believe it or not. There's still things happening in that regard. And, and, uh, um, I imagine I'll be have my hand on the Raiders a little bit here and there. All right, brother. Great stuff, man. We look forward to talking with you uh, coming up here during the season. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. You guys take care. There he is, Mark Anderson, Las Vegas Review Journal. All right, we come back. We talk a little Raiders and Seahawks, and uh, Dr. Christina Madison will join us as well, the public health pharmacist, our infectious disease expert, just all-around good doctor. We'll talk to her and a whole lot more coming your way. It's a Friday. Get ready for a weekend right here. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank. To a wide open Durham spike for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. 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 Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Hour number two on this Friday. Don't forget our Friday home, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, coming your way starting September the 3rd. Looking forward to that. And then uh, we've got the NFL the following Thursday. We'll kick off that action and uh, get ready for it. Yes, uh, back at the Cosmopolitan for the college football, the NFL season, all the way through March Madness at the beginning of April. So, yes, look forward to that. And the Cosmopolitan Opening back up as we know. We already saw one event at the Chelsea earlier uh, last month with uh, Bill Burr. 
concert's coming back to the Chelsea. Everyone's ready. Keep your mask on, though, when you go inside. I, I wear my mask when I go inside all the time all right. because it's the uh, law and the right thing to do. Uh, the big question is, are you finally going to get out on the pickleball court this season? I, I rarely get invited. You know what I'm saying? Double B invites you all the time. Yeah, I Let's go he, up and play pickleball. I, I think it's more of a courtesy, you know, invite. I've never seen him say, you know, hey, let's I think it's do more it on of, this day. Yeah, I think it's more of one of those things if I'm going to keep on inviting him because he ain't going to show up anyhow. Yeah. And, uh, it's not going to happen. Now with it, the, it, it's like when somebody says, oh, I'm feeling a little under the weather, and people go, anything I can do for you? Because they figure, well, you're going to say nothing. And then when they say, well, oh, oh, I'm a little busy. I, I can't actually, you know, it's one of the, like when you pass somebody up and you go, Hey, how you doing? You don't actually want to know how they're doing. Absolutely correct. You know, right, right. You know, if they stopped and started giving you all their ailments and everything yeah. else, you'd be like, dude, I was just saying hi. No, you said how you doing. <laughs> it's like when I, when I get the invitation to go up to the ice rink there in the, in the wintertime. I mean, it's No, we it, did that there. last year. That right. was a fun time. I mean, but he's adamant about that. Let's go. Boom, boom, boom. The pickleball thing, I don't know. Because, you know, this pickleball thing, it seems like it's more of a, you know, double situation. And do I got to show up with my own? Racket, or do they have those there? I think they That's probably have know. some there. I would imagine they have some there. Yeah. But yeah, but it, it almost seems like a click thing. Yeah, like you're not part of the pickleball I'm, click. I'm, I, I you agree. know, you're, you're I'm part of the click click. Yeah, to go watch, you know, the yeah. games and you're, stuff. You're, and click. you're one the of fights. his friends and one of the people he yeah. hangs with, but yeah. not in that realm. Yeah, maybe I'm too young. You think about that? You know, pickleball is an older sport. Oh boy, <laughs> you better be careful, man. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, he's probably invited you over me, and you're a little older than me, so there you go. I don't no, think he invited kidding. me. I no, think he I, invites no. you a lot more. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you're, you're right, though. The pick- I'm not in the pickleball clique, because I kind of make fun of the pickleball clique. I mean, my, my invites are like, uh, are you tagging along with TC and going to show up too or something like that? I don't really get the, the full-on invite. Nah, I, I disagree with that. I, d- I disagree. It's a vibe I get. You know, you, yeah. No, you get, you know, again. Of course, again, my blood type is all negative. When so, I say you know. after the show, hey, we're going to Blue Ribbon, you're down for Blue Ribbon. We're going to Holstein's. You know, there it is. Now, yeah. Numchuck, different story. Now, Numchuck's kind of, you know, he's like the caboose in the back. It's like, okay, do, yeah. we got, do we got room for one more? Do we have room for one, this guy? Well, you know, Numchuck's always looking for a loose caboose. How <laughs> <laughs> much Numchuck do you? You don't even realize <laughs> Uh, Christine Madison is going to join us a little bit later on this hour as well to get the latest updates with uh, fans coming back into the venues, the Aces, Sunday at the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh, Tickets have gone on sale for single-game packages. Only five home games left in the regular season, so fans will be back there. And, of course, will all 65,000 fans be at Elysian Stadium tomorrow night. And we'll also have to get the latest from her about what's going on with different venues and that as far as vaccination, proof of it, uh, mm-hmm. can you go into places? Because a lot more places now are starting to say that if you don't have proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test, you're not getting in. We saw it right here in Vegas with the Life is Beautiful uh, concert, mm-hmm. which is coming up. You must show that you've been vaccinated or that you've recently had a negative test, and a lot of people not liking that. I think, and then you hear other places that say they're doing it, but they're doing it on the honor system. Well, then just say you're not yeah. actually doing it. The Smith Center is abiding by that as well, too. You, to go see a show at the Smith Center, you got to be vaccinated. Yeah. So, you know, and we'll, we'll see. But uh, right now, other venues are just basically saying, hey, mask up inside, and we don't need to see your 
your vaccination cards. Yeah, mask so, on, mask off. There you go. They got to make a new karate kid, yeah. don't they? <laughs> Every time I, I start doing the motion, you can't see my motion, but I'm doing that motion. Wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyagi. All right, Dr. Christina Massa, she'll join us uh, in a little bit. All right, so let's talk some NFL football. It is the opener tomorrow. It is the preseason. It, it's the Raiders. It's the first time they are making a big deal of it, and understandably so, when you have you know $2 billion stadium that uh, you want to showcase. It'll be the first time that fans will be allowed in uh, to a Raiders game. Mark Davis will be the first time he's been to an event, an actual game there. So he kept his promise saying last year that, hey, I'm not going in until we can have all of our you know fans there, all of our season ticket holders. They are making a big to do about this tomorrow, like we mentioned, a ribbon cutting ceremony at three o'clock in the afternoon. Gates are going to open at four o'clock. Um, you know, I went by the stadium earlier today, and every time I go by there, I mean, there are throngs of people there doing the tours, and they're making some money <laughs> before they've had you know one official uh, fan go in there to go see a game. They have bankrolled quite a bit of money with people paying for these tours. And they're buying the merch. They're doing it all. I mean, in, in, in good for them. But uh, people are very anxious to get into the stadium. And, uh, and from what I understand, I have not gone through a tour. But uh, the tours are, are pretty nice. Now, what do you think about everybody calling it the Death Star? Because that seems to really like be it. the name. I don't like it. Well, the, the, the biggest complaint that I have about it, I mean, it sounds like a cool name. Wasn't the Death Star blown up? Isn't that the side that lost? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, it, it, you got to really put some some deep thought into this. Because and, and, and again, maybe it's people over do some analytical, homework. They'll, but it's they'll like, dive into this and but yeah, tear the, it apart. The Death Star was the evil side, and they got blown up. Yeah. They all died, <laughs> except for Darth Vader, who escaped it. I don't remember seeing that in Spaceballs. It wasn't in Spaceballs. It, was, well, it was in one of the legitimate Star Wars movies. I mean, Spaceballs wasn't like one of the Star Wars like, no, no. trilogies. It wasn't a prequel whatever, or a sequel. Uh, or a <laughs> stand- no. Really? No. John Candy wasn't in Star Wars? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No. Wasn't he like a part dog or yeah, something? Yeah, that? dog cat. I had a tail or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So he was like a, he was like a friendly Chewbacca. Not that Chewbacca wasn't friendly. How could friendly, you not he- like Spaceballs? I mean, Spaceballs over Star Wars? No problem. And twice on Sunday. Did I say I didn't like it? I just said I that it wasn't one of the Star Wars movies. Why are you jumping to conclusions? I'm not jumping on you. I'm just kind of yelling at the audience. Okay. Because I'm sure there are people are saying that. Well, there's probably <laughs> some people that don't like Spaceballs. Some people don't like a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not, as you know, I, I get made fun of for this. I'm, I'm not a Star Wars guy. Never saw it. It's odd today. That Tim Anderson never saw Field of Dreams. I never saw Star Wars. We're like in an alternate universe today. Like, you're the more yeah. negative one today. Yeah, I am. It is. <laughs> is it Tuesday? <laughs> it's Freaky Friday. I'm going to get positive right now, okay? All right? My All right. B- Jalen Hurts. Well, I guess I'm going to turn into a negative, too. So the Eagles. Well, Johnny Cash it, said everybody hurts, yeah. so. <laughs> Jalen Hurts. Why don't the Eagles name him the starting quarterback already? Why don't they do they it? They don't want to tip their hat. Oh, They don't want the opposition to know who to prepare for. The same reason Urban Meyer is not saying Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. Well, maybe there's something more there. I get that. you got a guy like Joe Flacco who's been a veteran, but let's face it, Joe Flacco is the backup. Jalen Hurts is the starter. Uh, Jalen Hurts got the start last night in the first exhibition game. They both played at the same time last night. We're talking about Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and then Washington played the Patriots. But last night, uh, when we look at these games... Very low-scoring games. Uh, None of these quarterbacks really led their teams on any type of scoring drives whatsoever. But 
Yeah, uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, impressive last night to a certain degree. He actually threw the ball right on the money to several receivers, but went off their fingertips. There were some drop passes for sure. There were, yeah. But uh, Jalen Hurts said he is very excited uh, about this season, and he talked about last night's game and can hardly wait to get back to practice. The opportunity to play ball, every time we get this opportunity to play, especially in a live atmosphere like this tonight, we want to take advantage of it and we want to learn from it. And, and build off of it. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this week's practice. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait to go practice this week. Um, this is how fired up I am to learn. You know, to, to grow. You know, I've always liked Jalen Hurts. Love that Alabama guy. You know, good for him. Landing with Philadelphia, getting drafted. You know, high in the second round, being the starting quarterback. And he likes practice. As we know, there was another guy in Philadelphia that played that didn't like practice so much. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not, a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. Yeah. Who would you rather have, Jalen Hurts or Allen Iverson? Well, all I can say to AI, and he doesn't care what I have to say about it, but <laughs> of all the millions of commercials that Michael Jordan did, and at least it seemed like he did millions of them, my favorite one was when he was in the gym and it was in black and white, and he's going, can you imagine not seeing me on TV every three minutes? Can you imagine me not doing And he's just shooting free throws. And the rumor was, as egotistical and everything else as he was, he was the first one in the gym and the last one to leave. You know why he's arguably the greatest player of all time? Because he did go to practice. Practice. And he did work on his game. And he did get better. And then he performed even better in the regular season games. There is a reason for practice. You don't have to like it. You don't have to love it like it seems like Jalen Hurts does. But if you want to be the best... And you want to not just make the playoffs, but have success in the playoffs and celebrate championships, then you need to practice. I'll disagree with one thing you said there. Well, you actually didn't say it about the commercial. But I don't think Michael Jordan was probably the first one or the last one to leave that gym filming the commercial. I think it was Mars Blackman. No, no, I didn't say in the commercial. I, I just said it in practice. The rumor has it like that. And again, that might be one of those <laughs> things, too. I mean, I don't remember that part of the last dance, but uh, I'm sure that even if he did say it in there, that uh, there would be some people that might have issue with it. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem like everybody was on the same page and thought that Mike was 100% accurate in all of his assessments. I don't know how good the Eagles are going to be this year, but Jalen Hurts is a real feel-good story. A guy that, and you know how much I loved him in Alabama because of his demeanor and how he got shafted when they brought Tua in and got basically got pushed aside. And despite that, Jalen Hurts came back to win games, even you know coming off the bench. Really glad that he's going to have himself a career. And I think Philadelphia could be a very good landing spot for him. He's one of the most accurate passers out there. He can run the football. Hopefully he can stay healthy. The Eagles still need a lot of help on both sides of the ball. But I, I, I'm hoping that uh, it really works out for him because that's a guy I like to root for. Well, and one of the biggest advantages he has, let's be honest, that division's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I mean, and, and, and that kind of helps when you're in a division where, you know what, if you have mediocre success, you could be playoff bound. Cowboys are the favorite, and, and deservedly so. And a lot of people think they will be better this year. Be interesting to see. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of Hard Knocks yet, but Hard Knocks is they're back with Dallas. Jerry Jones loves the limelight, and of course he wants to be on there. So the first episode aired earlier this week, and uh, Dak Prescott got hurt immediately. You know, with uh, uh, a a I don't know if it's a bicep or if it's a shoulder, but it is his throwing arm. And uh, here here's a guy that's missing time. You know, right now after coming back from that horrific. You know, ankle injury, that foot injury they had last year that was just grotesque looking the way it went down. But uh, he still hasn't gotten the field yet in the preseason. And Jerry Jones was, I don't know if this was more of a Kevin Costner thing or what, but his opening press conference that he had, and of course, all the cameras were there, he was in tears saying, I will do, and I'm paraphrasing here, I will do anything it takes to win a Super Bowl. And he goes, you know, when my back is against the wall and, you know, I feel that I'm prepared, he goes, sometimes I'll do some really crazy things. And he goes, i got to watch myself sometimes. He goes, but I will do anything to win a Super Bowl. Because for him, if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, his legacy is tarnished. Even though he's, you know, wearing a yellow jacket in the, in, in the Hall of Fame and has made millions upon billions upon billions of dollars, you know, with his stadium and this in this franchise. Dude, if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, this this guy might I don't know what he might do to himself. Well, the problem with he can say that, but can he back it up? Can he actually do that? Because the one thing that a lot of people think he needs to do to win a Super Bowl is back off and let football people make football decisions. And I don't know if he's capable of that. So when you say I'd do anything, the one thing you need to do is the one thing your ego will not let you do. So you can say all the right things you want to. It doesn't mean you're going to do it. You know, people that watch Hard Knocks, they get a pretty good insight of what transpires during training camp, and you get a chance to know some of the personalities of the players uh, and the organization. And as you know, I, I got a chance to know Mike McCarthy pretty good. And when Jerry Jones hired him, I just didn't see that working. I didn't see a fit. Now, McCarthy will be the robot. There's no question about that. But he's not going to be that that guy who's going to be a big-time innovator. He's not going to be a big motivator. He's not going to do it. And when you see the dynamic uh, from the top of Jerry Jones and the guy who's in second command is Jerry Jones's son and third in command is Mike McCarthy. Looking at these guys, and if you watched Hard Knocks episode one, you've already kind of seen well, let's see. I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to defer to you. Well, what do you think here? And like in that first episode, the trainer is saying, hey, I got to pull Dak out of practice, and McCarthy's going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Why are you pulling him out? You know, he, you know, we, we, he's got to get some reps in." He goes, "No, no, no! I saw him throwing on the side. You know, he, he, he's not, he's not right." And then Jerry Jones saying, calling the trainer up and saying, "Well, how long is he going to be out for? Because you know, we got to, we got to get him some reps." And then, then Jerry Jones' son is talking to McCarthy, and they're like. Not on the same page. They're just trying to say, well, you know, not just the Dak Prescott situation, but just kind of everything in general about, you know, personnel and that sort of thing. It's just like, I just cannot see 
everyone's kind of deferring to Jerry. So that's why he's never going to step aside. And Jerry doesn't really have the brain power to make the right decisions. Well, and he doesn't have the – it's not his skill set. Right. You know, he, he's not a scout. He's not a football talent scout. He's not – you know, and that's probably one of the reasons why he's not going to win a Super Bowl. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to Dak Prescott, and, and I'm not saying anything against him, I'm still not sold that he's a franchise quarterback and somebody that I think he can win a Super Bowl with. Yeah, he has a lot of good stats a lot of times because he constantly checks off and throws the safe pass. He doesn't stretch the field. He doesn't do a lot of thing. And when he's at his best is when Ezekiel Elliott is at his best running the ball and opening up things here and there. I don't know that he's worth the money they paid him or, or, or they're paying him. I don't know that he can stay healthy. The defense still has question marks. Yeah, they're in a bad division, but in the playoffs, you end up having to play some good teams, and they're not even making the playoffs in that division right now. Jerry Jones, again, not to sound like a broken record here, in my opinion, needs to back off and let football people make football decisions. I don't think he can do that. Putting your son as number two in command certainly shows that even a little bit more. And then, like you say, you bring in somebody like McCarthy, it's bad enough when a coach and the owner and the other people aren't on the same page. I'm not even sure they're reading the same book. No, it's true. <laughs> and as far as Dak Prescott goes, I totally agree with you. I've, not, I've never been a Dak Prescott fan. I thought that that was a mistake for the Cowboys to draft him. They pushed Tony Romo up probably a year or two or three too early. No. And again, this guy has a history of injuries. And even when he is healthy, he's not that good. No, he, so, he has nice completion stats in that because he checks off all the yes, time. Yes. Look at his average per – if he has a decent average per reception, it's general because the guy he throws the ball to runs a lot after he catches it. Speaking of check down Charlies, uh, the other game last night saw Washington in New England. Cam Newton got the start for the New England Patriots. Cam had two series, four for seven, 49 yards, nothing but check downs. And then when Mac Jones entered the game towards the end of the first quarter, got a standing ovation. You tell me who Patriots fans want to see. Who are they behind? And again, Cam Newton has never been a guy his entire career with Carolina where he was going to be, you know, people are going to just put their arms around him. And he didn't do much in New England last year. And you know, fans were hoping that the Patriots would be better. They weren't a playoff team last year. They were dreadful. But now, you know, all the offseason drama that Cam Newton says, hey, I'm not coming back. Then he ends up coming back. And now Bill, Belichick has made him the starter. And Mac Jones is, is going to be the guy who learns behind him. Yeah, uh, Mac Jones, standing ovation last night. And Mac Jones got a chance to run the offense for five series, 13 for 19, 87 yards, nothing but checkdowns. But uh, I hope it does work out. You know, I do like these Alabama quarterbacks because I believe that, you know, when you play at Alabama and you play under Nick Saban, no matter what position you play for, uh, you play, that you are going to be prepared for the National Football League. And I am rooting for Mac Jones. I root for Jalen Hurts. Not so much Tua, just because, you know, I just don't think that he has the, the NFL skill set. But with these other guys, they are prototypical pocket passers and they have the ability to run as well, too. So uh, it'll be interesting to see 
what happens and how long Belichick is going to hang with Cam Newton. Well, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned that Mac Jones uh, it looked like he was checking down, but his stats, I thought, were a little bit misleading. He threw a ball into the end zone that went off the fingertips right. of a receiver who said that, you know what, he put it right where it needed to be. I need to catch that. Another one, he just missed a receiver about 35 yards on the field. So he did try to stretch the field a couple of times when he was pretty close. Also had a couple of drop passes. And even though both of them look like in stats, they checked down a little bit. Mac Jones' average uh, reception last night went 7.2 yards, they said, for where he released the ball from and thrown it downfield. Cam Newton was 0.3. So Cam Newton basically threw every pass at the line of scrimmage. They were basically long handoffs. So even in a check-down scenario, Mac Jones was still stretching the field far more than Cam Newton did. I do think that's a telling stat. If the defense knows that you're not trying to stretch it at all, that's not a good look for Cam Newton, and it, it really makes it tough for the offense. At least Jones did try a couple of things, and in the first preseason game, his timing was just – it was almost there. So I think there are some things to look happy about there, and I'm not surprised the crowd is uh, is all excited, especially after, like you said, Cam Newton with uh, – it wasn't Aaron Rodgers drama in the offseason, but I'm not coming back, then I come back. It's like, dude, just shut up and play, especially in New England. They're used to winning Super Bowls in that. They just had to watch their franchise quarterback, which most of them probably still love more than the New England Patriots, win a Super Bowl for another team last year. They don't want to hear drama and excuses and crying. They want to win. And they want to root for one of their own. And that's it. Tom Brady was one of their own. Drafted by the Patriots. Patriots draft Mac Jones. And they realize the Patriot fans can be patient. I mean, they had got to remember decades of futility. Okay, from the uh, '85 Bears to the success with Brady took a while. It did absolutely. And you know, again, they had that that one in there where they went to the Super Bowl and lot, got blitzed by the Packers, right, in New Orleans. But that was a I didn't long, want to remember that. Yeah, one. Drew Bledsoe. Exactly. I know you don't, but Mac Jones is a guy that they want to root for. Plain and simple. And Cam Newton is a guy that's not their own, and they want to get him out the door. So I think Patriot fans can be patient and say, give Mac Jones in. If we've got to take our lumps, that's fine. But the Patriots still got pretty good defense. They've got some other parts that, that, that are okay. Still got Julian Edelman. So, and they got Bill Belichick. And, and they believe in Belichick a lot. Yes. They still think that. Yes. And you know Belichick has a fire in his belly. He wants to win a Super Bowl without number 12 as well. Yeah, absolutely does. Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> bidding to be the uh, quarterback start for a team, his ninth team. Is that, yeah, yeah. Ninth, so he's got eight right now. So if he's named the starter for Washington, it'll be his ninth team, and that would be an NFL record. And Fitz uh, got plenty of action. Well, he started the game last night for Washington against New England. Two series, five for eight, 58 yards. Then uh, Tyler Heineke came in. Um, Heineke was 9 for 15 with 64 yards, but uh, again, a lot of checkdowns here. But we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick should be the starting quarterback in Washington, and uh, good for him. Uh, I hate to see this guy keep getting bounced around because he's wanted to stay everywhere he's been, and deservedly so. He's probably should have stayed in most of these places. Shouldn't he still be the starting quarterback down in Miami? Absolutely! I was just going to say that, too. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, he never should have lost that job. Yeah. And, and what he did when he came here to Vegas... In that that uh, that victory for the Dolphins, if, if, you know coming in for Tua who was benched, outstanding what what Fitzpatrick did. Now if he, he lost his job two weeks later, if he starts in Washington this year, 
and they like him and he plays on until next year, would that be the ninth and tenth teams since the Washington Football Club will have a new name, whatever it might be down the road? <laughs> that would be the same organization, my friend, but yes. Uh, yeah, and, and that's another thing. Don't get me going with that. I mean, you had more than a year, let's say a year and a half, maybe closer to two years, that you knew that you were going to change your team's name. Let, 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 let's, right? let's be honest about it. You had over a decade because you knew that this was coming down Correct. at some point Correct. because people have been complaining and bitching about this for a long, long, long time. Yeah. But you could have probably just played steadfast here. And I don't know if the NFL was really going to say you have to change it or not. But again, with all the nightmare stories that they have there with, with Daniel Snyder and that organization and, and you know the trouble that he got into and those employees and everything else, I mean, you need a new name. You need to change this thing. And just to say we're going to go status quo again this year without a name, what do they think? This is actually going to catch on? It's not catching on to anybody. you got no logo on the side of the helmet. Hey, let's go watch. People are still calling in the Redskins. Heck, I call them the Redskins. Former Redskins call them the Redskins. Fans still call them the Redskins. I think you have uh, some of the old former Redskins players on just so you can say Redskins yeah. and be correct when you say it. That's right. <laughs> Hail to the no names. Are they still saying fight for old DC? Is that is that song gone now too? Well, I think they'd have to say fight for old FC now yeah. since they're the football club. Right. Still call it Redskins Park. They're, well, actually, they're the football team because football club would be a soccer team. Still Redskin way going into Redskin Park. You know? Yeah. I don't know. You're right, though. That division is pretty horrendous, especially if Dak Prescott is going to miss significant time this year. The Cowboys and the no-names just doesn't have the same ring to it. That's it. Because <laughs> the no-name defense, what? That was the Dolphins, right? Yeah, the, I think so, yeah. There you go. Football team. Oh, please. Players. Football field. Washington football team. That is garbage. That is garbage. Flush that immediately and never play it again. Please. What's up with that franchise? A once proud franchise. The color scheme. They never really messed with the color scheme. And you remember the old Redskin uniforms where where the helmets going way back when they had like the the spear going Mm -hmm. through it? Yeah. Then they had the R for a while. Yeah. They've had a couple of different looks. Yeah. Yeah. But they were all okay. I just didn't realize that a team that one of their most endearing features to a lot of them were growing large men dressing in hog noses and wearing dresses would be something that people would yearn for those good old days again. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> all right. You know who people are yearning for now? And, and I think I'm, I'm becoming a fan. I think a lot of people are going to start rooting for the Detroit Lions just because of Dan Campbell. Now, remember when Dan Campbell was hired and he – Stole the show at the opening press conference. He's a soundbite. He's a soundbite. And I, I think that Dan Campbell can actually give everyone daily soundbites. Here's one from Dan Campbell from two days ago. I worked at a chicken shack when I was 16 years old. As a matter of fact, growing up, I, all my life, I'd worked on our cattle ranch. My dad, one summer, I was like, Dad, I don't, I don't want to do that, man. I'd see if I can go get paid because I didn't get paid for doing that job. That was like auto. Anyway, so I worked at a chicken shop chicken shack and uh, I learned how to clean chicken and I could do it blind over and over and I'll never do it again. So 
So I appreciate everybody that does that type of work because it, it got old quick. I did that for a while, and, I, and finally one day he let me work the window. I got to work the window. The window was here. This is the top of the window. So I would stick my head through. That was awesome. But, um, but I did get paid better, so it was good stuff. Can this guy coach? I don't think right now for the Detroit Lions, they don't care. They're going to cheer this guy. You know, when they march on the field for their, their first home game, which is tonight, they're going to cheer him louder than anybody else. They're going to cheer him louder than Jared Goff, I'll tell you that. Well, it sounds to me like even if the Lions lose, he's still saying pluck the chicken shack. <laughs> <laughs> and how that question even got brought up, you know, and I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, Dan Campbell, he's going to have daily sound bites. He's a, he's a guy you want to root for. He's an underdog. Wasn't there a show on one of those uh, offbeat cable channels or something like Worst Jobs Ever or something like that? Maybe maybe that'll be one that's featured on it. No. Maybe they'll do a football theme or something like that. Former Jobs that former NFL coaches used to have. Lions a point-and-a-half favorite tonight over the Buffalo Bills. Well, in the old days, remember, the Lions used to win all four of their preseason games when they played four of them. And then they'd go 1 and 15 or 0 and 16 or something like that yep. in the regular season. Yep. They put emphasis on the preseason. I don't want to say they burned themselves off for the regular season because the truth is they were just god awful football yeah. teams. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, another team. They, Harbaugh loves to win, but I don't know how he can count on, on winning. Basically, no Lamar Jackson because he won't get his COVID shot. You know, uh, well, isn't he doing more study on it? He wants to know a little bit more information. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're missing twenty one players right now, not not just because of COVID, uh, uh, but you got ninety five percent of their team that is vaccinated. They got about twenty one injuries right now. It is it is crazy. All right, so you want to go to a game? You want to go see the Lions uh, tonight? Uh, that's good. Um, you stick in that division. You want to go to the game tomorrow? I can get you tickets if you want to go see the Vikings host the Broncos tomorrow at U.S. Bank Stadium. Would you like to go? Probably I'll not. I'll even pay for your ticket. No, probably not. You know what tickets are going for for that game tomorrow night? $12? I don't know. Wow. $12. <laughs> That's, that seems a little bit expensive. <laughs> Three bucks! You can get in the door at U.S. Bank Stadium for three bucks to go see the Vikings. All right. I'm still not going. You know? I mean, uh, you want to pay like up to 14 and get you a little better seat. Now, what about people that brought tickets in advance because they thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be the Bronco quarterback? Yeah. I mean, what did they pay originally and now they're selling their tickets for $3? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and to be fair, uh, just pick up the the Lion conversation. Their tickets are like $14. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's a lot more than three. Yeah. How much people pay to go see the Raiders tomorrow? Oh. Wow. I heard those ticket prices have really plummeted. They have plummeted. Which, it, which is kind of amazing because I would have thought that just because of the new stadium and getting in there for the first time and, that and seeing the you Raiders. You would think so. But those poor season ticket holders, I don't know if we, we say poor because they had to shell out the PSL money, you know, the right to buy the tickets, and they had to pay the face value of these game tickets, which are the same as a preseason game. It yep. doesn't matter. So they're the ones that are selling those tickets and getting very little back for them. So you know what? And and I might be the bad guy here. If they could afford these those PSLs yes. and the season tickets, better off than I am right yeah. now. So I'm not feeling that sorry. Yeah, and if you're and, and and if they sell the first game or the Bears game or something else, 
they can still make a profit this season quite easily. You know, looking at the secondary market, cheapest seat I see is like 69 bucks for the game tomorrow night. It's a hell of a lot more than three. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Dr. Christina Mattis is going to join us. We're going to talk about the COVID protocols with her when we come back. <laughs> Check out his big stethoscope. Or not. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, it is time for us to visit with the public health pharmacist, our resident doctor. She's busier than you know what. Dr. Christina Madison, Roseman University, thepublichealthpharmacist.com. What is going on, Dr. Madison? Hey, how are you guys? I feel like it's been forever. Well, we were talking, how are you? We were talking to an old friend of yours yesterday. Spencer Haywood joined us at the uh, Summer I League. I know. Yeah. I'm so jelly. I wish I could have been there with you guys. It would have been a fantastic uh reunion and you know obviously you know everything he's doing to advocate for the black community and to advocate for vaccines um in particular i just i'm so grateful and thrilled that um he's taken that on and uh uh, fun fact i personally vaccinated both him and tc so i feel like their uh their success you know I have a little bit to do with it. But, hey, that's just me personally. But, you know, I, I don't know what you guys think. We but, mentioned that yesterday. We You got mad mentions on the show yesterday from Spencer. What? Oh, yeah. You better go back and listen to that interview, girl. It's on the homepage there. Go check it out. But you got mad mentions, and we both talked about that. And while we were talking about it, you go, what? You know her? Well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, all, the, all this stuff that came up. And then, well, she vaccinated me. Well, she vaccinated me. She, I go, she vaccinated our whole table here. And, and I gave him the uh, idea for the new promo for uh, for him in your clinic. That's right. Spencer Haywood, NBA Hall of Famer. The best shot I ever took was the COVID shot. <laughs> I like it. I love it. That's really good. So, uh, Dr. Christina, tell us uh, what other Hall of Famers you've vaxxed up. Oh, well, we, we talked a little bit about not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but a well-known rock star that lives here in Vegas. So there's that. Vaccinated plenty of our local media, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of anyone else that I would consider to be kind of a more of a star or like a you know, now, does this uh, invade any of the HIPAA laws for you to tell? Like, well, I'm like, not saying I'm not saying who they are. You're right? not. So, but if but, you did, here, would that so violate? I, well, I, I mean, obviously, I want to keep people's privacy, and you know, if they have not personally already disclosed that they're vaccinated, then of course I would not mention who right. it is. Okay. Yeah. Right. But yeah, if they've already talked about it, then right. it's fair game. That's what I'm saying. Okay, we're fair game there. Okay, good deal. Yeah. All Which right. basically you and Spencer both disclosed, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know, speaking of athletes, and uh, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, and I want to get your take on this. Uh, Lamar Jackson, quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, he has gotten COVID twice now, and he refuses mm-hmm. to get vaccinated. 
Um, mm-hmm. they, there are a couple other players on this Baltimore Ravens team that do not want to get vaccinated, even though that 95% of the team is. And, you know, organizations, you know, coaches and general managers and presidents and owners, they, they want their players to get vaccinated so they don't come across the what we went through last year with the possibility of postponement of games because the NFL basically said, hey, they are going to go forward no matter what. Why do you think that there are still these athletes out there, Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins, who basically the quarterbacks of their team, they are the, they are the face of their franchises. Why are they so unwilling? Yeah, I mean, I think it, that's a really hard question to answer, but I will tell you um, – I applaud the NFL for what they're doing because of, you know, the agencies that we've seen that have come through with some of these kind of what I would call sort of a pseudo mandate, they seem to have been the most successful, you know, before they basically came out and said that they, you know, would postpone the, they wouldn't postpone the game, they would cancel. And then whichever team had the cases that that team would not get paid. So, I mean, obviously this is about the bottom line of the league. And, you know, when you have to start canceling games, that really impacts the bottom line. And so, you know, it's really hard to think what may be in someone's psyche when they're deciding whether or not to get vaccinated. But I will tell you, you know, there are certain individuals that have, you know, whatever that personal reason for why they don't want to get vaccinated um, it's on them. But when it comes down to a business, you need to do what's best for your business. And maybe it's, you know, at this point, you know, they may have to think about, you know, looking at second string, you know, replacement, because again, you can't have one person on your team that has the possibility of infecting the rest of your team with a, you know, a communicable illness that could possibly cause them to have long-term health conditions after they become infected. Because that's the other thing, a part of this, too, is he's had COVID twice, yes, but we don't even know what the, you know, the long-term potential uh, adverse effects, you know, the lung issues, the heart issues, the clotting disorders. You know, these athletes are in the prime of their life, and they are in the best shape ever I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be in a situation where I may end up with an infection that could leave me not being able to, you know, be at the top of my game. So, again, I think it's twofold. Um, You know, the business has to do what they need to do, but then we also need to do what's best for public health. And if they're going to refuse to get vaccinated and we know that's really the best, one of the ways that we can best protect people, then they may need to think about getting a replacement. You mentioned that businesses have to do what's best for them, and we're seeing a lot of different stories now about businesses and COVID. And, for instance, Life is Beautiful just said if you don't have proof of being vaccinated or a negative test, they're not going to let you into the event this year. Then there's talk about what are the Raiders and the Vegas Golden Knights going to do. We haven't heard anything about that yet. And we see other places saying, well, we are going to require vaccinations, but we're going on the honor system. We're not going to ask for proof of it. Do they need one just standard set of laws and say this is the way it's going to be? Or does every single event and every single venue going to make up their own rules as we go along like we've seen with all the states doing throughout this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the $24 million question, right? So, you know, I I can give you guys a couple of examples. So the first example I will give you is actually just something that I did this past week. So 
the it's called the HIMSS conference, so H I M S S, one of the largest healthcare technology co- uh, conferences in the world, and it was here in Las Vegas. And all of the people who go- went to this conference, if you were registered for this conference, I went as press. You had to do a health screening and you had to have proof of vaccination before you even entered the convention space. So, you know, this was at the Venetian and there were people checking and they had a a separate area that said verification of proof of vaccination. So if you didn't fill out the clear app like what they had at the Golden Knights games before, you know, we went 100 percent you had to prove that you were vaccinated and you had to go through a house screening and we were all masked. So from my perspective as a healthcare professional, as a public health advocate, I felt incredibly comfortable and safe in that environment. And I think as a healthcare technology conference, it was really um, a model for how you can do, um, you know, large indoor conferences. Well, the other example I'll come up with is what they're doing in Germany. So the nightclub industry has been hit extremely hard there. And so they're doing a, basically a pilot study where they are paying people to, uh, if they're vaccinated, they have a pass that they can use to go to these nightclubs, these in- indoor nightclubs. And they're paying all of the employees of the nightclub and, and all of the patrons. And so you get a pass for the weekend. You um, test. You do a PCR test before and you do a PCR test after, and they're looking to see if this is something that they can implement um, in the winter because right now they're using a lot of outdoor clubs. So to answer your question, do I think that we need a standard? Yes, I do think we need a standard. But at this point right now, you know, for your own personal safety, if you are in any indoor space, number one, get yourself vaccinated. Number two, wear a mask because we do not know how many unvaccinated people are around vaccinated people. And now we know with Delta, you can still be vaccinated and still potentially get infected. You might not get as sick and you will likely, you know, not be hospitalized or die, but there is still the possibility that you can become infected. So you got to do what's best for you until, you know, a standard is made. But I do think that once this vaccine is, is, uh, receives full FDA approval, you're going to see more mandates and you're going to see more um, instances of proof of vaccination being needed before entry. Dr. Christina Madison joins us. Uh, AEG, one of the largest you know, concert uh, you know, venue operators in the world, they came down and said that they're not going to allow anyone to go to shows in their venues that are, are people that are not vaccinated. Uh, they actually operate the Smith Center, so that's going to have a local effect here. Uh, in your opinion, Christine, um, you, do you think that, that that should be the case here? Because, you know, right now, none of the Las Vegas teams are saying you have to uh, be vaccinated to come to our venue. Got to wear the mask inside, but uh, which which policy do you abide by? Uh, again, as someone who advocates for vaccination, mm-hmm. uh, I think that it's just best for us as a community as a whole, not just looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, what's going to help us to slow the spread of the virus in indoor activities, right, large group gatherings, but also just for a benefit of everyone around us, not to mention the fact that, you know, the kids just went back to school. And, you know, 
you know, we have a whole subset of our population that isn't even eligible for vaccination yet. And so we need to not just think about ourselves, but we need to think about all of those individuals who still can't be vaccinated and are being left unprotected. And so when we vaccinate, you know, it doesn't just help us, it helps everyone. You know, I just um, was listening to, um, you know, uh, some commentary with um, our CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, and, you know, they have data showing that if you are a child that lives in a home of unvaccinated people, you are, like, so much more likely to get COVID and then potentially have, you know, adverse, um, you know, effects. And so, you know, we need to model good behavior. Do do I need to tell you, yes, you need to get vaccinated? You know, that's your personal choice. But when it comes to, uh, you know, large gatherings where there could be super spreader events, I think it's not only good public health policy, but I think it's good business that you look at, you know, doing mandatory vaccinations. Because here's the thing. Do you want your clientele to be able to come back and patronize your business again? That's a little hard to do that when your your client, um, you know, becomes infected and is no longer with us. You know, you mentioned something there that uh, I was going to bring up anyhow. You mentioned the FDA and getting approval from them. Why hasn't it been approved yet? Is there a timetable for when it's going to be? Because I've heard a lot of people basically saying, well, it's not even FDA approved, so I'm not getting until they are. I turn on TV every night and I see all these stuff that are FDA approved with 10,000 side effects in that. What's the deal with the vaccine here? Because I do hear people saying that about the FDA, and in some senses, that does kind of legitimize it a little bit for their side of the argument. Again, uh, you know, you bring up such amazing points, Frank. You're just, you know, so right on. <laughs> I can't tell you, like, you're so spot on. Uh, you know, here's the thing. You're right. This is like something that has definitely been you know, a bane for me, um, because normally what you see is the FDA will take what's called post-market surveillance. Usually you need at least six months of data in real world time, and we're beyond that. So the original request was made, um, you know, more than six months ago for this, you know, for this particular vaccine, in particular for Pfizer, um, because remember it was initially authorized in December, they, um, you know, asked to have full FDA approval back in March. So, you know, we are beyond the point where, you know, the FDA should should have been doing this. And so um, I think there's a lot of pressure at the federal level. Um, you know, the last thing that I heard is that it's likely to occur this month, um, that the, the goal and the target is to have full FDA approval by the end of August. And I think if that happens, um, it will help a lot of businesses be able to feel more comfortable to mandate vaccination for their employees, as well as potentially for proof of vaccination for their patrons. So you're right. It, it is something that I think that is hindering us um, from really moving forward and getting closer to the end of this pandemic. I mean, we're seeing cases rise, even deaths rise again here, uh, you know, locally here in Las Vegas and Clark County. And it's weird because I really don't see a sense of urgency from a lot of people here. Not at all. And, uh, and that, that's that got to drive you crazy as well, too. Yeah, I, 
here's the thing. It's a, it's, it's definitely, I have a, a very complex relationship with um, all of the people that are here and are visiting and are having a great time and are enjoying our wonderful city because I know that that's what we need in order to recover from our, you know, from this devastating impact of, on our economy. But it also scares me because there are people from all over the world here with unknown vaccination status, unknown COVID status, right? Because we're not asking for proof of vaccination. We're not asking, of, you know, proof of COVID testing. And so it is a little unnerving. Um, and so it's a balance. There's a balance between lives and livelihood. And obviously, you know, with so much of our economy being so based on hospitality and entertainment, it is very challenging to be able to do a, you know, a really good balance of the two. But again, going back to that whole personal safety aspect and, and really wanting to be able to get out and enjoy things, you know, you can still do that, you know, in outdoor spaces, right? So we know outdoor spaces, outdoor venues, that's really the best thing to do um, because you've got, you know, ultraviolet light, you've got, you know, good airflow, ventilation, you know, you're less likely to contract the virus that way. And then if you're in indoor spaces, absolutely, please, please, please wear a mask. And not just any mask, wear a good quality mask and make sure that your mask fits you well. So surgical grade mask, a KN95, the best is an N95 because that filters out very, very small particles. Um, you know, just having a cloth mask is probably not protective enough when it comes to Delta. Can I broadcast in uh, that mask that you're describing? Can you send some over? Absolutely. Yeah. I have some that are coming that are going to be branded. Yeah. You want to be my ambassador? Uh, of course. I'm your spokesperson, right? There you go. We're probably going to have to wear them at the Cosmo again, so we might need them down there. And did, did you ever? I've got to wear Sunday now. I got to start wearing Sunday. Back to the play-by-play. Did you? Did you ever think yeah. we'd be in a world where the mayor of Miami is suing the governor of Florida because of all the politicism of this whole thing? It's yeah. an insane world we live in today. I know. All right, Dr. Again, Christina Madison. I, yeah, you, I agree with you, Frank. <laughs> we, we, we appreciate uh, you as always. The publichealthpharmacist.com. Check her there. Great follow on Twitter as well, too. And the podcast. Plug the podcast real quick. Yes. Um, that's what I was doing at Hims. So you can find mm. me for the post Hims recap on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, um, Public Health Pharmacist um, podcast. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the Field of Dreams. I know. Well, you know, what can we say? I mean, so sad. You, you have to have me back. I guess. I guess so. Did you like the Field of Dreams? Real quick. Did you like it? I. I. The only thing that was a little bit uh, unnerving was all of the handshaking. I really <laughs> wished for some hand sanitizer. I'm talking about corn that they shouldn't put a fence up there. I want. I want to bring back the movie as it was, not fences, not the all this. I mean, you're talking about hand sanitizer. We're talking about a great game, 9-8. Well, she is involved in public health. Public health. Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about, I thought you want to talk about from a sports perspective or a movie perspective. Oh, well, obviously, like, you know, the stocks at the end, I mean, like, that was, like, scripted right out of the movie, right? Like, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better ending to that game. Did you like Field of Dreams better or Sandlot? Sandlot. Did you like Sandlot better than the Bad News Bears? Sandlot. Uh, still Sandlot. So Sandlot's your number one, huh? Yes. Okay. All right. How about for the love of the game, Kevin Forever. Costner? Forever. 
Sorry. <laughs> all right. We will talk yes, to you later. It's all good. <laughs> all right. All right. Wear your mask. Go wash your hands. Keep your hand sanitizer. And uh, we'll see you very soon. That would be your cue to say goodbye. Oh, see you guys next time. <laughs> the cheerleader and her saying, see you next time. She's doing her happy dance right now. She's doing her happy dance. I can picture that smile right and Remember, now. you can never assume what somebody's favorite movie is. That's right, Felix Unger. That's right. Well, I was doing from the Bad News Bears. Because you know what happens when you assume. Yeah, that's Felix and Oscar and uh, the odd couple. Make an ass of you and me. Yeah. Okay, so it's both. Yeah, it's both. Okay, yeah. All right. I want to thank Dr. Christina Masson, of course, for joining us. Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review-Journal as well, too. Have yourself a great weekend. If you're going to the Raiders game tomorrow, mask up, hand sanitizer, and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll talk all about it on Monday. And the same thing with the Aces game on Sunday. Aces game on Sunday, same thing. Uh, the crowds are back at the Aces game, Michelob Ultra Arena, 3 o'clock tip-off. So uh, if you don't go to the game, listen. Just a few notches down the dial. Have the pregame show at uh, 2.30 and tip off at 3 o'clock. All right. Well, Park, Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. For Numbshut, for Christina Madison, for everybody who's part of this team, we'll catch you Monday at 2 o'clock.